You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. TNL is a production of Young Clergy Network, a ministry of OKC First, committed to listening to, collaborating with, and empowering young pastors. If you love this podcast, if you get something out of it every week, consider sending us a little love at youngclergy.net slash donate. Thanks to everyone who's already given. We literally couldn't do this work without you. Today on the podcast, we have Pastor Ray and Reverend Mallory Seaman at Connection Point Church of the Nazarene in Hawaii. Thanks for all you do for young pastors, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Britt Bowlerjack, and I'm here with my guests, Ray and Mallory Seaman. They are co-pastors over at Connection Point Church of the Nazarene in Hawaii. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you both end up in the Church of the Nazarene? You've been in it longer. You can start. Okay. Yeah, so I'm a kind of like fourth generation Nazarene. I've kind of been in the Nazarene Church for since, since before I was born, mm-hmm. <laughs> but parents and grandparents and great parent grandparents all went to the same Nazarene church in Union, Missouri. It's kind of where I grew up at, mm. but went there from when I was a, from when I was a baby up until I went left to go to college. Oh, wow. So that's kind of, I was just there from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And for me, uh, my family, they have a church background and that my dad was actually like a theology major at Baptist Bible college and Missouri and my mom started off as a missions major but we ended up really not in in the church for various reasons and some hurts throughout their life and uh, we moved around a lot and that kind of contributed to that, to that as well but in high school we ended up moving to my mom's hometown and where my aunt and uncle and cousins they attended the Nazarene church in Marshfield Missouri and so we started going there and got plugged in with the youth group and it's much harder to make friends in a small town, uh, just from our experience. And that youth group really became my my closest friends. And the youth pastor and her husband in particular were some of my closest people. And so that really started me in the church as well. Mm, I love that. Just kind of starting with you, Mallory, can you kind of tell me about your calling How did you end up feeling like you wanted to be a pastor? Yeah, I really wasn't on the radar. Um, Definitely, like, I didn't really, I wouldn't say I even started following Christ until I was a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. And mostly that was out of fear. I got scared by a play that our church did that scared me of hell. (laughs) But I was so thankful, like I see in that youth group and my youth pastor, Selena, in particular, really just embedding in me not only that being a pastor as a female was possible, like that wasn't an issue because I saw her living that before me and I didn't, hadn't been in the church really to know that that was a thing, that that was an issue. Yeah. I kind of had my plan set for college. It's always been very academic and had life kind of planned out. I was planning to study architecture and wow. uh, use volleyball as part of my way for college in addition to uh, academic scholarship. Had a back injury that was pretty bad my junior year of high school and kind of halted all of my plans. <laughs> yeah. And for the first time started really asking the Lord what he wanted of my life. And I was planning to honor him, planning to use architecture for good things, but had never really really asked him what he wanted of me. And through a series of things, like I was tutoring some middle school girls from my youth group and just being a part of their crazy life. And every week hearing 
kind of their hearts and got asked to lead Fellowship of Christian Athletes at my high school. So I was leading a Bible study each week, which isn't was entirely new. I felt like a baby Christian and mm. was all of a sudden speaking in front of people and that was terrifying. Yeah. But one night in particular, the Lord really struck me with Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Mm. Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And mm. he just really hit me that though my motives and my intentions were good, in a lot of ways I was so motivated by wanting to please my teachers and my parents and what everyone around seemed to be saying that I should be doing with my life. But he really said to me, uh, you can build stuff, but my call for you is to build people and to build my kingdom. And wow. so I changed plans, telling my parents I was wanting to study youth ministry. That was my call, at least initially, was to youth ministry a lot because of those girls I was tutoring. Sure. And that wasn't received super well when you tell your parents all of a sudden you're going to switch from going to Cornell to Mid-America, Nazarene, and <laughs> from architecture to youth ministry. They kind of think you've lost your mind. Yeah. But that's been a journey and they've been so supportive along the way. But, you know, your parents, they want what's best for you. Mm-hmm. They worried it, at least initially, but that ended me up at Mid-America and where we met and have continued kind of following call from there. Oh, that's great. Kind of tell me about your journey, Ray. How did you end up wanting to be a pastor? Growing up, I grew up in a Nazarene church and grew up at church. Both my parents were on the church board. Both my parents were Sunday school teachers at different points. My mom had been a children's director and youth leader. And she, my dad had been in charge of men's ministry and had been in charge of lots of different ministries. And I knew a lot of the good, but also a lot of the bad of the church. Mm, and yeah. I did not want to be a pastor. I did not want to have anything to do with that i was faithful and i wanted to be a part of the church yeah but i was planning on going to school for not like mallory for architecture but i was planning on going for automotive engineering or at the very minimum to do diesel mechanics so that i could make money to support my family because that's where i grew up at supporting your family was like the thing you did Mm -hmm. so it was honestly a few months after my senior year of high school when i graduated i was getting ready to begin classes on other stuff but felt the lord called me to go to mid-america and i didn't want to and my parents didn't want me to we had a, a moment at the altar of like family sobbing together because mm. my parents didn't want me to leave I was abandoning my family but it was kind of a lot of my my journey has been God telling me to go mm. and not giving me a lot of directions on the way because if he gave me the what exactly what I'd be doing I probably wouldn't go but a lot of it him telling me to go and then guiding me from there or him telling me to go further along but got to Mid-America and had a right. called when I went to study music ministry. And part of that was God calling me to go for that because I wouldn't go for just for ministry. There's no reason why I would go for ministry at the time. I did that for my first year of college and then really felt mm. the Lord redirect me and say, I, I, I'm, call, I'm calling <laughs> you to be a pastor. Mm. I'm, I'm calling you. I'm not calling you to do this, but I'm calling you to, to shepherd and to lead and to be a pastor, mm-hmm. which isn't one I wanted to hear, but... <laughs> But it's, it's where, it was where I want to be. And then Mallory has been in a leadership role as a, as a pastor ever since college. She was a was hired as a, a middle right. school youth pastor her senior year of mm-hmm. college. I, on the other hand, went through college and was volunteering at the same church. Mm. But then when I graduated, I felt the Lord called me to, to work on paying off our school loans. So I spent the first five years out of, out of five school, six, five yeah. or six years mm-hmm. out of school, working in a factory. And then I ended up being a mechanic, ended up working as a mechanic, mm. ended up 
working on diesels, which is what <laughs> I originally wanted to do and originally wanted to do engineering or automotive engineering and ended up working with engineers and ended up mm. doing some of that anyways, but at the same time volunteering at a church, but being a pastor at a shop is what the, all the guys I worked with referred to me as, mm-hmm. which is a, a weird mix of God yeah. leading me and guiding me. Mm-hmm. But then I ended up feeling called again. Again, God keeps throwing me a direction and then saying, go. But it's 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 been an amazing journey. And I ended up quitting my job there and coming on staff at a church volunteering full time. But it was the best mm. the best thing that I ever could have done. That, I love that. I think that's great. Kind of flesh out your, your journey then from the end of college to like where you are now. How did you go through each step? Yeah, kind of piggybacking on what Ray just said. We had both been volunteering at Central Church in Lenexa, which is pretty close to where Mid-America is at. And mm-hmm. we had volunteered there and attended there all through college. And then my senior year, I was hired because we split the youth ministry into middle school and high school youth ministry. Gotcha. Kind of one thing, but just making it more age specific. Mm-hmm. So I came on staff there and Ray was working, paying off our, our school debt, which it's incredibly helpful and sacrificial. At the same time, really not having a day off because he would be working and then also serving alongside me mm. in a lot of ways uh, in my role. So that was really for five or six years serving there. We loved that church in so many ways. It's a very different context than where we're at now, much larger congregation and a much different area. That's a very suburban area and where we're at is kind of like we try to describe it as like hippie slash wild west <laughs> culture. I don't know. It's hard to describe unless you're here. Mm. But it's a very diverse kind of combination of rural issues and urban issues in this area. And uh, in so many ways, our church in Kansas prepared us for where we're at now. But God really kept growing a desire in both of us to serve in a greater capacity together. I mean, I feel like before Ray was even technically on staff at Central, our students called him Pastor Ray. Mm -hmm. And we co-pastored there really unofficially, but we were co-pastoring, but really just growing that desire within us to co-pastor that had kind of been in us from the moment we started dating. We just saw how God was weaving that together. Mm -hmm. And we just dreamed about being able to lead together in some capacity and we really thought maybe it would be there at central in some way um more officially but that wasn't the lord's timing and it wasn't what his plan was but like two years before we had left central we felt god stirring something in us and it wasn't necessarily uh something we felt like we initiated mm. he just there was this sense of get ready and the sense of not wholly, wholly discontent in some ways, but just asking lots of questions about what what did he intend the church to look like? What are pastors supposed to look like? What what has he called us specifically to do and to be? And this was a wrestling for two years, and we didn't know if that meant, does that mean we're supposed to leave Central? Does that mean we're supposed to stay here? So just asking lots of questions, and we, we really tried to be pretty honest with our, our lead pastor that we were wrestling um, because we didn't want to come across as being halfway in, halfway out serving. We'd seen that happen a few times with other pastors that we'd known trying to be all in, but really not in with all of our heart. And so we, we were in conversation with our lead pastor. We talked with our district superintendent a little bit too, just asking for help discerning 
at Central, uh, they have a partnership with the Church of Nazarene in Cuba, and so with part of that, we got to go on a trip there. And oh wow, the structure of those trips is is amazing in that it's not necessarily geared to be a work and witness trip, but it's almost more like a you're visiting family, mm-hmm. uh, you're visiting our church family in Cuba. And I was given the opportunity to preach several times through translator there, like in the main service and. That definitely sparked something within me of the Lord saying, you really do have a gift to do this mm. and that I can do that. And just that that moment of what the gospel can do to shape people is so important. Mm. And I'd been doing that in youth ministry in a lot of ways, but just he was highlighting that in me. And then just the amazing rapidness that the church is spreading within Cuba with so little resources. That just produced further questions in us of saying, Lord, like, we love this large congregation that we're a part of, but did you mean for all these resources to be piled in one place? Mm. You know, is there a better way to be doing your work? So we were feeling a call to smaller. Um, We were feeling a call to a context that was reflective of his kingdom and that it was diverse and economically and racially. And so we we were honest about that, but about a year ago from right now, so like July 2016, I was directing high school camp for Kansas City District and Ray was attending as a cabin leader with our uh, boys. And, uh, you know, we had tried to be really intentional that even if you were leading camp, like service moments, we stop and we be still and we listen. And the Lord very distinctly the same night said to both of us, it's time to move forward and to trust me. Mm. But that's all he said. But we we were able to talk after service that night and more so once we were home. So that Saturday after camp, we were writing a resignation letter, which we had no idea we would be doing. And we took that in on the following Monday to our lead pastor. Wow. And he was kind of shocked too, because he had been a part of that conversation. And generally the rhythm is you find where you're gonna serve and then you resign. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, but I think I think the Lord knew something about us that we didn't even necessarily know at the time and that we're not people who can do the the whole like interviewing in one church while being a part of another church. Mm-hmm. We're, I think well, and especially very... with teenagers, they just, they know when things mm-hmm. are up. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, but I think we're both we're we're loyal people, mm. and when we're somewhere, we're we're all in somewhere. Yeah. And I, I can't like I can't have my heart in two places. It feels like I'm was cheating on another church if I was interviewing at another place, and oh. I don't know. I, I couldn't do that, but yeah. I, and I think the the Lord knew that, and it allowed us to be to be faithful and to to finish well with our teens and to yeah. finish well with the people we were ministering to. That we didn't we didn't know where we were going, but we we were following the Lord, and, and, and we got we to doing. live that before them too, mm-hmm. which was. So cool. Mm. Yeah, but we were done at Central at the end of August Mm -hmm. and had began looking Mm -hmm. for where to serve. Hawaii kept coming up in random conversations. Another pastor on staff, Raymond, had asked us if we'd ever thought about short-term missions in New Zealand or Australia. The Church of the Nazarene is fairly new fairly small there and right. it would be a different cultural context but also you wouldn't have as much of a language barrier mm. and we said no we hadn't really thought about that but then he said well what about hawaii that's it's still very much what i'm hearing you say but we had never thought about that yeah and <laughs> frankly like no. we had never even thought about visiting hawaii uh it was way out of our vacation budget for sure sure and sure yeah we just had never thought about it before when we but, heard yeah. when we heard other pastors talk about Hawaii, it's like yeah, right. That's you're just <laughs> yeah. You're what do you, what do you mean? You're like ministering to like tourists or yeah. what? Like we, we we didn't know. It's like dream on. Yeah, yeah. suffering for Jesus in yeah. Hawaii or something. But you know we 
we knew the district superintendent, Rick Power, here. He had overlapped at College Church on the campus of our college mm. while we were there. And so we knew him. We knew he, in a lot of ways, was a leader that we respected in yeah. many ways to our DS on Kansas City. And we knew he supported co-pastors. We knew he supported women in ministry, which sadly isn't always the case with every DS. And so we emailed him. We kind of did a, a co-resume. So we each had like a page for each of us and then a shared page that was kind of how we saw our gifts and mm. different things overlap with each other. And we sent that to him and just said, we don't know if we're a good fit, but we're looking for where to serve the Lord. And we'd be interested in talking with you. We don't know if you even have any openings, but that turned into Skyping with him for like two hours. And then that turned into Skyping with the church board here, uh, which was supposed to be 30 minutes and was like two hours. Mm. We think there were there was somebody that was supposed to Skype with them after us. And I don't know if that happened. Um, <laughs> but, whoever that was, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're sorry, whoever that was. And then, so we literally, we were done at Central at the end of August. And was it like the next week we were flying out for an interview? Yeah. It was nuts. It was crazy wow. timing on everything and we just really fell in love with this place and with these people and i think for for me i fell in love with what god was doing here what god was already beginning to do here yeah um, and partnering with with god in that then also also the amount that the gospel can affect people here mm-hmm. it, it affects people everywhere but the amount that there can be change here and mm-hmm. th- it is people are open and receiving to to the good news right yeah it's very open to any spirituality sort of area and at the same time you have really every economic class you have a lot a large homeless population in this area because if you're going to be homeless somewhere i mean you can survive outside here it's pretty consistent temperature aside from being rained on and you can live off food that's growing you know so why wouldn't you live here? Uh, honestly, a lot of people were given one-way plane tickets by somebody that cares about them or just somebody who said, go be homeless somewhere where you won't die. Wow. So you have that here, but you also have people who retire here mm. or who have vacation homes here and kind of everyone in between. Mm. And we didn't really realize how culturally diverse Hawaii was before interviewing. And you really, ha- it's an incredibly diverse area. Um, a lot of Asian influence, different countries, obviously Hawaiian is still prevalent, but then just even from like, we have one lady from Europe that just started attending and it's just, you have the world here and we, God just sparked within us. This church can reflect my kingdom in such a way that you haven't experienced before, that every tribe and nation and tongue can be within this church. And my church doesn't all look like the same kind of people. Mm. That sparked something in us. And so, and the church board in particular was just so ready to go. They wanted, they were ready to reach their community with the love of Christ and wanted leaders who would take them that direction. They had had a young pastor before us, um, had never had the co-pastors, had never really entertained the thought of a woman could be a pastor. They'd, I don't know, they didn't really, there's a lot of lack of knowledge of the Church of the Nazarene here, so they didn't really know what we believed on that. Yeah. So our DS Rick was really an advocate for us and that, that this is a model that we support. And honestly, we've supported female pastors from the beginning mm. in the Church of the Nazarene. And mm. so, yeah, we ended up here at the end of October and sold like three quarters of our stuff to move over because particle board furniture does not survive here so none of our furniture was worth bringing and 
<laughs> we sold that to a family from Central and kind of said goodbye to people selling our stuff to them and <laughs> ended up over here. Moving here isn't loading stuff in a truck. It's no. A, it's a, a few-month process. Of, yeah. But it's it was good. It's been it was a, it. a time of, I don't know, a time of purging things. and Yeah. yeah. And spending and, time with people you love. Yeah. And mm. It was a good. We were thankful for that that flow of things like Ray was saying that the Lord knew us better than we did and knowing what we needed in that transition. Yeah. But we're so thankful to be here now. Mm. We just feel like we've stepped into trying to keep up with God, what God had already started and trying yeah. to just keep fanning that into flame, what he's doing, what he's calling different people to within the congregation. Yeah. Kind of, kind of tell me about your church. What is your church like? What might somebody expect if they went there? What is exciting that's happening? Tell, tell me all about it. So our, our church is very, it's very unique, especially within within Nazarene churches, or at least within like like mainland Nazarene churches. I haven't seen anything yeah. like our church, at least know. within the Nazarene church. I'm sure, sure I'm sure there is. I but, bet there, yeah, there is. But. but like, there's there's no dress code. There's no like prerequisites to coming. Like people, mm. we prefer that you have clothes on. <laughs> prefer that you're sober. We prefer that you're sober, but that's not always the case. Yeah. But Sunday Sunday morning, if you don't, if you don't smell. Don't smell pot. Don't smell alcohol on somebody's breath. It's not a normal Sunday morning, but it's <laughs> more body odor. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's very different. And there's yeah. people like Mallory was saying. There's people from all around the world that end end up in Hawaii for mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. There's people that speak multiple languages in our mm-hmm. church, and there's a large portion of our church that English isn't their first language. Mm-hmm. So that that makes it makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. Makes makes it fun, but our church is very. They're they're known in the community for being very welcoming and very opening, mm. very open to people and like a group of people that if somebody comes in, they hug them immediately. Like yeah. it's not a. It doesn't matter if you've been <laughs> on the street for for three months and haven't showered, they'll hug you immediately as soon as you walk in the door. And that, that, the community knows that. Yeah. Um, and the community knows that there's a group of people here that that love Christ and they love people, mm-hmm. which is, which is is cool. And yeah. we've had people like just beginning to, to show up because that's contagious and people want to be a part of that or mm. it, it catches people at people's yeah. attention just asking questions and it's a small it's a small enough community that word of mouth matters here and people tell other people about things that are going on uh, uh i think a huge piece too of kind of the ethic of our congregation is uh, our food pantry and clothing ministry mm-hmm. the last two sundays of the month which this was a rhythm that was going before we got here yeah. but we do groceries and a clothing ministry after church last two sundays of the month just because generally that's when food stamps are running out people are low on mm. on funds and um it's been beautiful to watch people that were only coming for that stay because they were hugged or because they felt received, they felt the love of Christ and more than just a handout and more than just a need being filled. But yeah, that that's a huge piece. And so in a lot of ways, like we struggle sometimes with kids and teens because obviously families have to make a decision if they want their children around our diverse group. <laughs> sure. But at the same time, God is growing both of those groups. Uh, they're they're not huge, but they're growing them. And we do have kids and teens. And I'm so thankful that we do have families that say that that matters and that they want their kids to see that not everybody looks like them and not everybody lives like them. Not everybody has what they have. So, yeah, yeah it's it's just a crazy mix. You do, you do have a lot of people, well, not a lot, but probably half our people coming from church backgrounds 
and most not Nazarene, mm. a few Nazarene, longtime Nazarene families, but for the most part, that's all new. And so it's been so fun to get to teach who we are and that we are getting to really live into like being the church of the outcasts as the church of the Nazarene in our community. And that doesn't always look like just the homeless people, you know, but it's also people who are intellectual and never found a place that they could really wrestle and dialogue about their faith. And I don't know, people, women feeling calls to ministry and just things like that, that it's, it's just, it's cool to watch. Yeah. Like Malik said earlier, a lot of it has been like trying to catch up with with, with what God is is doing here and has been doing here, mm-hmm. um, and trying to keep people centered on God's will and centered mm-hmm. on on their faith. Because we've got people coming from all all different directions and people coming mm-hmm. from all kinds of different faith backgrounds, and some people coming from very conservative backgrounds, and some people coming from very very not very conservative. very not conservative and yeah. Um, and having those people in the same congregation mm-hmm. worshiping next to each other mm-hmm. is, is amazing. But there are those, there is conflict at times, yeah. and there is conversations that have to come up because it's yeah, it is what it is. But that's really what I love about our church is when you are preaching before them, and you're looking out at our congregation. You're like, there is no reason you all should be in the same room right now except for Jesus, and that He has united us together, and we're trying to figure that out. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's. That's a fun challenge. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Tell me about co-pastoring. What is that like? How does that work? I mean, maybe because you've only been doing it officially for a year, some of it is still new to you and you're still working out some things, but I would love to hear all about it. Yeah. So it's, it has, it is a new experience for us. And we actually, we have a, a list of division of roles that the district, actually the Church of Nazarene asks you, ask you to do as co-pastors. It's in the manual. Within. It is in there. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Roles and authority. You have to like submit that annually to mm-hmm. like your board needs to look at it. And I think it may just be for uh, like lead, lead co-pastors, but so that's a thing our DS asked mm-hmm. us to work on. Yeah. Which was good. So we were, we were looking at that this morning. I was like, oh, we still need to do half these things and we still need to, we're <laughs> not always following it exactly, but, right. but we do, we do have that. And that is one piece of, that has helped of dividing of roles, but. Can you kind of explain what that even means? Cause I'm not even sure I know, I know. Yeah. So thinking about like preaching and worship planning and pastoral care and outreach and administration and okay. discipleship. So like all the little things that fall under each of those areas we tried to there's a lot of them that we wrote both that we share um there's a lot of things that we'll do together honestly we do a lot of our hospital visits things like that together because it just makes sense for us to go together yeah Yeah. sometimes it makes more sense for one of us to go over the other but and and some of that is is unique to us as well there are some co-pastors that there is what there is um one that does is primarily the, the teaching mm-hmm. and preaching pastor, and the other one does more of the, the personal personal care and pastoral care side of it. Mm. For us, we, we kind of split it in a lot of ways 50-50 as mm. far as preaching and teaching goes. Mm-hmm. We'll divide that out week yeah. by week. There are some Sundays we'll, we'll preach together. Um, it's much more work, so we don't do that every week. Right. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It ends up being pretty much double the amount of work because you both write, write something and then you write it together and then... Yeah. You have to work on it together, so yeah. it's but but it's fun. Yeah. It's yeah, but yeah, we've tried at least with preaching, we've tried to make like a semi non-predictable pattern of who's preaching, and so people can't just be like, "Well, I'm going to come when Ray preaches, or I'm going to come when Mallory preaches." Right. Generally, it's when she preaches because uh, she's right. she's a better preacher than I, I am. So, uh, 
but I mean that that's one dynamic and like with board meeting generally uh, whoever is preaching that week the other person will lead board meeting mm. things like that Ray tends to have more uh, the role he was in at our previous church was very pastoral care oriented and so some of that stuff he takes more lead on but a lot of it we share I take a little more of the lead on discipleship but mm. again then again like he teaches one of the bible studies and I teach youth group and lead our teens and that so some of it's a division like based on gifts and passions and then a lot of it's just trying to practically 50 50 how do we kind of divide this up but we have a shared like to-do list each week on our phones that (laughs) kind of helps make sure we're on the same page on who's doing what Uh and that helps a lot Mm. it helps me i like lists she likes lists and spreadsheets (laughs) but but yeah i think a lot of it is 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 unique to us and Mm -hmm. unique to our situation because we do where we live at, we live at, we live at the church. Yeah. Like we live, like parsonage. our bedroom window looks at the sanctuary, like oh, at, the, wow. at the church. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it's always there, but mm. part of, part of our, our co-pastoring that is that we're always here. So a lot of things we can do together because of that. We don't have to like, we don't have separate offices. We mm-hmm. don't have separate places we go in. We're sitting in our office right now in our house mm-hmm. above like our food pantry and, mm-hmm. and kids area. So yeah, it, yeah it's, we're still learning it, but it's been a good rhythm so far yeah and for the most part like especially people that are new to church in this area that's been really well received they just have expressed wow that's so awesome you both pastor and that you're married and like i don't know for them to see healthy relationships has been really good for our area i think the only pushback we've had to it honestly is people who are coming from other christian denominations that maybe don't specifically support women in ministry or they just have questions about it like how how does that work i mean i feel like in scripture it says that there there's a one over the other and and that there has to be authority and some of those conversations it's better to just listen and be silent because there's not room to respond to but then in others there is space and you you bring some new insights that maybe they haven't thought about before. Like, well, what about the Trinity? And think about that. Who, you know, think things, things like that. Yeah. So we're still learning all of that. And I think we may, we're, I mean, we're not even at year one yet. We may still kind of be in honeymoon phase a little bit with that, but we'll see what God continues to stir. <laughs> what do you feel like is the, the most difficult part about co-pastoring? Mm. <laughs> probably i think trusting one another mm. trusting one another as far as like as far as like biblical teaching and, and leadership and trying to be on the same page as far as where you're at in your in your walk with christ so i think and for the most part we're, we're generally on the same page but there's times when we're in different parts we're re- doing our own bible studies and, and we're doing our own reading in different parts of the bible so we're, we're kind of in different places with Christ at, at the time. So mm-hmm. our preaching sometimes will go different directions from one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for the most, like last month, we got to sit down and spend some more time like doing extended sermon series planning. And that really helped to just get to dialogue together and plan mm-hmm. further out and say, okay, which which it, which of these aspects are you more passionate about? Or are you thinking about right now that you should preach on or mm-hmm. that I should preach on? And we like we had been saying just felt like we were trying to keep up and trying to adjust to this new place and so that was a really life-giving breath (laughs) to just be able to stop and think a little bit more Mm -hmm. so i'm excited as we head in like 
August begins some of those new series that we're thinking about. And so that's one, that's one way we've learned to do that. But I think I would, I would say that in a similar way too. I think for me, especially I'm a control freak and like I said, I like lists and I like to make sure things get done. And sure. Ray is very responsible and very organized and I give him credit for that, but we operate differently. And so like for me to not judge him and his like preaching process, comparing it to mine, to trust that the Lord is leading him and guiding him. Like I do not need to micromanage him and I'm not his mother, you know, like his mother's not micromanaging either. Don't hear that. <laughs> But yeah, I think trust. And I, I I feel like that comes maybe easier for a co-pastor couple that's married. But I've, I know other co-pastor couples that are not married. Um, but that's a very, that's a very intimate relationship and a very close relationship. And so there has to be a good level of trust. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of mentioned women in ministry and that there's a lot of people there who are not from the church of the Nazarene or don't have a Nazarene background. So kind of tell me how you tackle the, the concept of women in ministry. Do you do anything specific or intentionally? Do you preach on it intentionally? What are ways that you kind of weave that into what you do? Well, honestly, I mean, like it definitely helped from the very beginning that our DS made that very explicit. Uh, especially like the day we preached as our in- part of our interview and then like had questions before the congregation. Um, mm. he, he made that very explicit that this is who we are as a church and kind of explained why. But I think it's just one of those things that you could, it consistently will come up. And as it comes up, you have to speak to it if there's room to speak mm. to it. And so I think it was Pentecost Sunday and somebody come up to us before church and kind of say, don't take this personally, but... We're probably not going to be able to keep attending here, even though we really love the church. We just don't agree theology and just kept using that phrase. Don't take this personally. Don't take this personally. And, you know, you want to scream back in that moment. I'm a person. And I take that personally. But at the same time, too, I was preaching that morning and Mm. they stayed and they listened. And I happened to be preaching out of Acts chapter two. And (laughs) it was an appropriate morning for that. Right. That the spirit is falling on men and women and the young and old and to be able to speak to that and you know they had a conversation afterwards with Ray that I don't know we saw the Lord speak through her and so we have to think about that Mm. that doesn't mean they've come back but they had to think about that you know and had a conversation this Sunday morning with one of one of our guys who's always he's the first one here and he he has a Jehovah's Witness guy that likes to have conversations with him. And he threw First Timothy 2 in his face this week and said, well, why is one of your pastors a woman? And what do you think about that? And she's supposed to be quiet in church, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And so we got to talk about that context and about the context of Ephesus. And, and I, you know, I was able to be honest with them. I was like, you know what, man, like, there's really like at least three different ways that people interpret this passage. And this is where we fall as the church of the Nazarene. Um, This is why we allow women to be ordained. And he was so excited about that. Mm. You know, he's in his sixties and, but he, he was so excited to get to talk to his Jehovah's witness friend about that and ask him if he ever knew about Ephesus and things about that. So Mm. those little moments of teaching, we haven't necessarily like had a sermon about that or anything, 
I think, but I think one of the one of the key one of the big things was was the, was Rick addressing that before before we ever came. There were people who who left before we came, and there are people who mm. who have left since we came. And we had a conversation this week with someone who's trying said, to decide, trying to decide, but mm. they don't like any of the other churches in the area either. So <laughs> they disagree with all of them. So, but it's a, a conversation that has we have to keep having. Yeah. But it's it's good because it means people are asking questions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as long as they're open for conversation and not just, this is what I believe, goodbye, yeah. I'm sorry, bye. Yeah, and in that case, like, if someone has that attitude, like, we haven't had to say, like, well, if you have that attitude, this probably isn't going to be the best place for you, and we need to, you need to probably find somewhere else. We haven't had to have those types of conversations yet, but I think in those moments, like, really trusting that the Lord will give us what we need for those conversations, but being ready for them, too, being yeah. ready to talk about translation and interpretation and things like that that people don't always think about some of those things so yeah okay so talk to me a little bit more about preaching you two must have different preaching styles and kind of different expectations when you're preaching a sermon i'm just curious between the two of you each of your styles and how it works when you're preaching together so for me as i as i said earlier i i spent the last couple of years working as as a mechanic and working in a factory and <laughs> and then even when I was was pastoring at a church I was spending more one-on-one time with people I wasn't necessarily preaching mm-hmm. so preaching is something that is is newer to me like I've had classes on and stuff like that but it's something I haven't done in a few years and something I'm still still le- learning a lot of of how to do and I'm not an elegant speaker I'm not like a I'm not like a jump around type person or an exciting preacher so a lot of what I, re- I rely on um, comes from comes from spending time with people comes from comes from spending times with people throughout the week and then it's not the way that I say things or it's not because I said something louder or said something in a, in a better way but because of what I'm what I'm saying matters that people listen I don't want people I don't want people to listen because I'm saying something loudly or saying something in in a certain way, but because what I'm saying is important and because what I'm saying has an effect on their lives and matters to their lives. Yeah, and you you live relationally in such a way with people that they know you care about them. And so he definitely speaks within a context of care. And yeah, he you don't speak in a super dynamic fashion, but already since we've been here, I've seen such a, such growth in Ray preaching. And sometimes it like awkwardly people come up and they're like, I like it better when you preach or like Ray's getting so much better, you know, and you just, you know, like I get where that's coming from, but I do see that in Ray. I see that he's growing and becoming more confident and that the Lord speaks through him preaching just as much as it does when he's working side by side on a car with somebody whose car broke down that week, you know? And so that's really cool. I think for me, like, uh, it's definitely a shift to go from speaking to middle schoolers to a whole congregation. Yes. Sometimes I just have to know I need to tone it down, and, uh-huh. uh, that, which that's okay. <laughs> but at the same time, too, just with our context, the youth ministry has prepared me so much to speak to these people because mm-hmm. we have people who are so, so beginner in their faith or people who need to be in a place of questioning their assumptions and questioning, they need to like go back into puberty in their faith, you know, and they need to ask good questions and they need to wrestle more than they have. And so for me, I definitely, I think I preach more narratively 
and then maybe Ray does. Ray, you have a very like teaching style with preaching that's very organized and I don't know, like it just comes across that way. And I don't that's know. Good. I, I grew up I grew up with it is good. I don't know if it's organized. <laughs> I grew up in a house, like I said, not really, like we went to church when I was really little, and but I don't really remember it, and then we went in high school. But really, a lot of influence over my life. My mom has been a writer and editor growing up the mm. whole time, and so she read to us a lot. She edited our papers and things like that, and so English was not necessarily ever my favorite subject. Like, math has always been that, hmm. but... It's interesting to me how that's kind of cycled back and that I'm really falling in love with bringing to life the story of scripture and how our story so seamlessly fits into the story of God and helping people to see that in narrative ways maybe that they haven't before. But I think really both of us have felt so passionate that regardless of what style your sermon is, regardless of how you've prepared to preach, if you get it done, you have it written or you have it outlined Mm -hmm. and you go through it and look at it, like we both have had to ask, is this this sermon good news? Mm. Is this sermon gospel? Or am I simply asking our people to try harder? Mm. And that's been that's been one of the best rhythms for me mm-hmm. of realizing moments when I drift toward telling our people to try harder. Mm. And that's not what we're called to preach. Um, mm. We are called to preach the good news and how Christ does this work within us. And we, you know, cooperate with that and submit to that. But that's a really checking question mm-hmm. that's helped me grow. Yeah. And it has been fun here. <laughs> preaching too because it's it is a fairly new church well laid back it's fairly, fairly laid back but then also with with the nazarene church and a lot of people who are new to the nazarene church kind of teaching some of like the nazarene mm-hmm. basic basics of Nazar of the nazarene church which i'm fairly passionate about is it, it's it's fun for me it's mm-hmm. fun when people have haven't heard a lot of like the Nazarene keywords, mm-hmm. so like the Nazarene like key parts of the Nazarene Church, and people have never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. People have wow. never heard of entire sanctification, or people have never mm-hmm. heard of a, a lot of what of the Nazarene Church, mm-hmm. and being able to walk through that with, with people, and being able mm-hmm. to teach people some of the background of the Nazarene Church mm-hmm. in, in your preaching is is, is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun to tell those stories when they're new. So. That's awesome. I love that. What advice would you have? for a couple who's thinking about co-pastoring? What might you say to a couple that's wrestling with a call like that? I mean, particularly you have to be obedient to that. Mm. You have to say yes to that if that's the call that the Lord has placed upon you. And if you're not in a context in which you can do that, you have to find that context because you have to be obedient to that call. Mm. Frankly, we put we sent resumes to several different districts, and I'm so thankful we ended up on this one <laughs> mm. because, like we've tried to articulate, we know we are 100% supported by our DS. Mm. And frankly, a couple of the places we sent resumes to, we got voicemails from only wanting Ray mm. <laughs> or, you know, just kind of subtly saying, like, we don't really want that model, you know? Yeah. And yeah. though it is absolutely necessary for somebody to be that person to go, it, the Lord made clear it wasn't, that wasn't the place for us right now. We needed to learn to be co-pastors in a place where we were supportive, yeah, supported. But I think finding those places where there's room is, is pretty key. Uh, it doesn't, that doesn't mean it has to be we're all in, we 100% buy it, because that definitely wasn't connection point when we came in, but there was space, and 
people were wanted to listen and they wanted they were open to at least trying it you know and yeah. i think that's pretty key trust like you were saying yeah. earlier i think you're if it is a if it is a married couple who are who are thinking about co-pastoring your your relationship has to be strong and your relationship affects that um, or you might kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We haven't had any like major blowout fights yet since we've been doing this, so that's that's that's, that's good. good. Yay. But but your your relation your relationships affects your pastoring. Mm-hmm. And you, because you, you relation- feel the weight of that, like mm-hmm. you really do. Mm-hmm. That if we're having a rough morning and then have to walk in there and preach or say, Pass the peace of Christ, like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And then I, I know there's other other models too where it's where it's not a couple, it's it's Two people that are that are, that are not married or that are not a couple that that co-pastor, but I think those those relationships have to be be with someone you trust, mm-hmm. and it has to be with someone who you are on a similar similar level with, and that you can communicate well with. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, because if, if you don't have communication, it doesn't it doesn't work. Things yeah. fall apart fairly quickly. Yeah, and I think I'm definitely learning gaps in my own communication just doing this of times when I like assume Ray knows something or I assume he heard something or I assume I said something or, or I assume he read some email that somebody sent me mm. and forget that like oh you can't read my mind you know? but <laughs> that I mean that's a marriage thing too but that's for sure in your ministry together you just have to be willing to be worked on by the Lord yeah. and know that you're not done and he's going it's just a, another way he oh. sanctifies us and our work <laughs> is just through each other mm-hmm. and conflict I feel like is a strong word we don't have too much conflict but just those moments where you rub on each other and realize we're not the same person you know? right mm. well the last question I ask everybody is what inspires you to stay in the church of the Nazarene what are the things that are keeping you here mm-hmm. I, I think for for me I love the I love the theology of the Nazarene Church, mm-hmm. and I love the background of the Nazarene Church. So some of it, for a little while, I don't necessarily like. But but I, I love I love the Nazarene Church, and I, like I said at the very beginning, I had my my roots in the Nazarene Church, my yeah. my family. But that's not why I stay in the Nazarene Church. I, I stay in the Nazarene Church because because I, I, I agree with the theology, um, and I agree with, with with who we are as a church, and then I believe in the direction that we're heading. Mm. But more than that, it's a lot of it is is accountability. And a lot of times, mm-hmm. as, as millennials or as young pastors, we don't necessarily like accountability all the time. Yeah. But I know for me, I need, I need accountability, mm-hmm. and I, I know I would struggle if I was in a church that I did not have accountability, and I did not have have a DS that kept me accountable, if I did not have other pastors on the district that mm-hmm. kept us accountable. Yeah. Um, and I, I love the Nazarene Church for that. I love the Nazarene Church that it keeps its, its pastors accountable. Right. Um, and it keeps us accountable to one another. And, ask, and ask, ask more of us in that. It doesn't just set us free and say, do whatever you want, but it asks mm-hmm. more of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would echo both of those things for sure. I think uh, this area in particular, there's a lot of like congregationalist type models of mm-hmm. churches. And so they're pretty, they can do whatever they want. Or you have people coming from like Catholic or other backgrounds where it's just like, you preach this, you preach this, you do this. And I don't know. I feel like there's a, we're in a healthy middle ground in that respect with accountability and our theology certainly gives people room to wrestle but it speaks to what's important and so I appreciate that certainly for me it's where I can pastor in a lot of ways and there's always been a role for me within the church within the Nazarene church I know that's not the case for every woman but I would just say that 
there are places that you can serve. It may mean you have to make a move. You have to be willing to sacrifice in some way, but there are places you can serve and there are DSs who will support you. I think as well for me, the Nazarene Church is in so many ways our family. And to be able to know pastors around the world or friends who are in Nazarene churches around the world, mm-hmm. to know that I have brothers and sisters and, and you know, every time there's a global conflict that I know I have Nazarene brothers and sisters who are there, that that's pretty awesome. To be able to come back to our church after General Assembly and say, guys, we're not just on an island, like, you know, that we're in 162 world areas with 165 main languages. And they're all like, really? You know, to be able to expand their their eyes that our church is this beautiful picture of his kingdom. And it's not just Connection Point, but globally. Um, I really appreciate that. And that, that keeps me. Oh, I love that so much. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, maybe they have a co-pastoring question or a non-traditional church question, where, where can they reach you guys? How can they find you? We're both on Facebook, I think just under under our names. Um, you got to figure out how to spell my name. It's weird. <laughs> email? Yeah, we both. My, my email is just MallorySeaman at gmail.com. And mm-hmm. this is Ray. Do you want to spell that? Oh, M-A-L-O-R-I. <laughs> S E A M O N at gmail.com. So yep. if you type all those letters, you can shoot me an email or find me on Facebook. Yep. Oh, and mine is mine's Ray L. Seaman at gmail.com, too. If anybody yeah. had, if yeah. you want email with questions. Our church website needs help. So that, I mean, you can find, you can watch sermons or listen to sermons on there, but otherwise, content wise, it's kind of. It's dated and we need to fix it still. So probably yeah. those other two mediums are better. Maybe we need to send you some sort of graphic design intern that wants to volunteer. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for taking some time and coming on the show. Thank you for thank having you. us.